and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and it behooves me to tell you that this, this episode that you're listening to right now, this is going to be the last episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality for, I should say, quite some time. And I've mentioned this in a couple of episodes of Trennis Magnus jabs reality, but it stands to reason that a lot of you, if you tune in regularly to, at the very least, my Smallville episodes, to me it kind of stands to reason that you might not listen to Trennis Magnus jabs reality, and so you might not have heard that Trennis Magnus punches reality is indeed going to be going on hiatus for a little while. Alright? If you've been listening faithfully to Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, just forgive me in advance for repeating a bunch of bullshit that you already know about, but I kind of have to clue everybody else in on this. And since the Smallville episodes are probably the most popular of the, of the things that I release, by and large, you know, this is going to be new information to, I, I would imagine, quite a few people. So just bear with me here, guys. Uh, basically, what's going on is uh, there are a couple of reasons why I'm going to be going on hiatus pretty soon. One of the most obvious reasons is that, as many of you may know, I, I uh, got engaged uh, several months ago. At the time that you guys are hearing this, it was several months ago. And planning a wedding and going through all of that and the realization that I at least had was, you know, I don't want to be, no offense to any of you, but I, I don't really want to be burdened with the expectation of hitting a weekly deadline, you know, just uh, week after week after week, you know, and, you know, you have to, you have to keep up with that. I don't want to have to do that, you know, uh, I'm going to be getting married and I want my time and my energy and my resources, you know, to be focused on that, you know, because I think that's where my head needs to be right now, you know, uh, that's probably the main reason, but guys, look, I'm not going to bullshit any of you, um, I think I just need to get away from, I don't know so much about podcasting, but maybe elements of the podcasting world, you know, there, there's just, there's a certain politic that I'm I'm going to be very honest with you guys. There's a certain politic that I'm just kind of fed the fuck up with. You know, there are certain personalities that it's just become next door to impossible to deal with anymore. And look, I'm not going to name names. You know, I mean, it's kind of unfair to say even that much and then, you know, not name names. But, you know, fuck it. Life isn't fair sometimes. So, you know, it's just the, the point of it is, you know, what I think is best for me just on a personal level you know, uh, in terms of maintaining certain relationships that mostly for old time's sake, I still kind of care about, you know, I think backing away from this stuff is probably going to be a pretty good idea, you know, at this point, I think that may be a kind of a smart idea. So there are uh, logistical reasons for doing this, and there are also practical reasons for doing this. So uh, just something to be aware of there. Now, I'm not entirely sure 
when Trennis Magnus punches reality is actually going to come back. Um, if I were a betting man, I would say that it's not going to happen any sooner than May of 2019. So May of next year. You know, if I had to guess, I would say that's like best case scenario. That's when it's going to happen. You know, maybe June or July. I mean, guys, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you the future. But I'm just thinking that, you know, the most likely outcome here is... I'm not coming back until May of next year, so just want to raise awareness with you about that. The other thing, and again, if you've been listening to Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, this next piece of trivia is probably not going to be new information for you. The other thing that's going on is, you know, the decision I've made is that I am eventually going to pull the plug on Trennis Magnus Punch's reality. You know, I am going to, you know, there is a day coming, again, I don't know when, there is a day coming when it's going to be lights out, you know, and guys, from the outset, pretty much, like literally, I think from day one, I think I was pretty clear on the fact that Trennis Magnus Punch's reality isn't going to last forever. In fact, may not even last all that long, you know, and so the decision that I made was that, you know, the Smallville Retrospective, you know, Magnus talks about Smallville. The Smallville Retrospective is probably the most popular thing that I do. And I thought it might be kind of, you know, logical to wrap things up with the conclusion of Smallville. You know, basically, once the Smallville discussion is over, the retrospective has ended. Anything that happens with Trennis Magnus Punch's reality after that, guys, is borrowed time. All right. Uh, not very long after the Smallville retrospective ends, Trennis Magnus Punch's reality is gonna end. You know. And I guess, like, maybe I could see myself releasing the occasional episode of Trennis Magnus Jab's reality after that. But for the most part, yeah, that's that's going to be pretty much it for me, you know? Um, maybe that's maybe that's the most that I, that I need to say. Now, going back to the hiatus, because I have ADD a little bit, uh, going back to the hiatus, um, when the hiatus ends, and it will end, but when the hiatus ends, there are going to be a lot of changes that are made to Trinus Magnus Punch's reality. And, you know, one of the most aggravating things that a podcaster can do is talk about podcasting and administrivia rather than the subject matter of his episode. So technically, I should be talking about Smallville right now, but fuck it. Uh, this stuff is nearly over. If you've made it this far, you can indulge me for just a few more moments. Basically, some of the changes that are actually probably the biggest change uh, that's going to be coming after the hiatus is I've decided that I'm going to go ahead and abandon the eight-episode structure that I have right now. For those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you couldn't, but for those of you who don't know, I have an eight-episode structure that I follow, whereby for six episodes, I talk about whatever I want. You know, six episodes about, you know, whatever's on my mind at that particular moment, you know? The seventh episode is, in theory, it's supposed to be uh, an occasion for me and Chris Honeywell to get together and talk about weird stuff. You know, just kind of 
alternative topics and sort of alternative views and whatnot. I don't exactly want it to be, you know, like a low rent version of Coast to Coast AM, but some of the things that we talk about on Weird Stuff, they're not necessarily foreign to Coast to Coast AM, you know, and I kind of like talking about stuff like that, especially with somebody like Chris. You know, because he's just a goldmine for that for that sort of stuff. So that's the seventh episode. And then, obviously, the eighth episode, that's Smallville. And that's what I talk about in the, the eighth episode. So that's the structure that I've adhered to uh, literally since Trinus Magnus Punches Reality was first launched, right? Those eight episodes, I talk about what I whatever I want for six episodes. Seventh episode is with Honeywell. Eighth episode is Smallville. Wash, rinse, repeat, right? That's going away when I come back from hiatus, right? And I'm just basically going to release episodes, you know? Any given episode, it may be weird stuff with Honeywell, but it may not. Or the next episode, it could be Smallville, or it might not. Smallville could come first, and then maybe it's followed by weird stuff. Maybe there won't be another Smallville episode for six months, and then after six months, I release two in a row. I mean, you know, what I'm saying is the structure is going to be whatever the hell I want it to be, you know, and that's the point. And the other thing is, and I know I've kind of disavowed the weekly deadline thing a few times already, but guys, when I come back from hiatus, I'm going to be dead serious. If I get an episode out a given week, good. But I don't promise that anymore, you know? I mean, I did it. You know, I've done it. it. I've done it like 220 some or however many times now. I've done that. I've proved. I've, I've hopefully proved by now that I am capable of doing it. And so I don't really feel as much pressure to do it anymore. Does that make sense? So, so uh, there you go. And that's going to be, you know, what things are like when I come back from hiatus. And so if you enjoy this show... This is actually a good thing for you because if you were good at math, using the eight episode uh, schedule that I use now, but I won't use anymore after the hiatus, you might be able to, just from a mathematical standpoint, figure out just about when this show is going to come to an end. Whereas with the structureless new version of what this show is going to be, it's not necessarily going to be predictable, you know? And so, I don't know, maybe that'll make for greater enjoyment on your part i have no idea but anyway so i just wanted to throw all of that out there just make sure that you know in the again probably the most popular platform that i've got i'm raising awareness in theory with the highest possible number of people about what my plans in the future are going to be and so that's just something to look forward to or not look forward to or whatever because i can't really control you guys so there you go. Anyway, so that's all that stuff. That's all the, you know, inside baseball podcasting administrivia that I really wanted to get into, at least in this episode. So just to kind of get down to brass tacks, though, with uh, this latest Smallville retrospective that I'm working my way through. Episode 18, Progeny. Moira Sullivan's lucid in a, and also a prisoner in a 33.1 facility. She has the ability to control other meteor freaks, and that is power that Lex wants to be in charge of. Also, Lana's pregnancy was somehow faked. So, getting into, I guess, like the blood and guts of all this stuff. What's interesting here in all this is that when Chloe realizes that there are times that she can't, that she can't account for, 
and you know gaps in her memory and things like that she assumes that it's related to her meteor infection and this is interesting because meteor infections aren't the only problem that Chloe is up against here her family clearly has some kind of history of mental illness and so if you ask me she'd be totally justified uh, worrying just as much about potential mental health problems and maybe things like a psychotic break as she would be meteor infections and I think this tells us what Chloe Sullivan truly fears and for me it's just it's good character development you know it works for me for his own part Clark does everything he can to get her settled down fact is they don't know anything yet yeah this could be related to her meteor infection but there are other possibilities here y'all and Clark's level-headed thinking in this case ends up paying off because it's Moira, Moira Sullivan behind Chloe's gaps in memory. Clark was a supportive friend. He stood by Chloe's side and did everything in his power to keep her grounded during progeny, and it paid off. Again, this is more good character development. The thick plottings with Lana and her medical exams. She wants to know why she lost the baby back in combat. And who can blame her for that? But Lana finds out that she not only did, like, not only did she never lose a baby, she was never actually pregnant in the first place. So, what the hell? What was up with those sonograms that she saw? Yep. We'll find out more about this later on, I think. But, since we're talking about Lana, she has a bit of business with Clark at the Smallville Medical Center, where she keeps her mouth shut about her wedding day, her promise to Clark that she was leaving Lex, and all of that. Lionel really did put the fear of God in her. She's not going to do anything to jeopardize Clark's safety. For his own part, Clark's hurt and confused. He knows that Lana's sitting on a big secret, and he doesn't understand what it is or why she's not opening up. Now, as I've said before, this is an interesting reversal of Clark and Lana's relationship. Clark was always the one with the secret to protect, while Lana was always on the outside, getting hurt and never understanding what's going on. This is Lana seeing life from Clark's point of view. Now, she doesn't want to hurt him. This sucks for her. But for all Lana knows, Lionel could be telling the truth. There might be something out there that can hurt or even kill Clark, for all Lana knows. Lionel later tells her that he had good reasons for forcing her into marrying Lex, and it was all to protect Clark, but how can Lana possibly trust him at this point? And so this is another secret that she has to keep from Clark. You see, boys and girls, all Lana knows is that Clark has powers. She's assumed that He's just another meteor freak, and for all she knows, it's totally possible that there's some way to hurt him. Lana's right to be cautious, but she's obviously missing a lot of crucial facts. Still, it works for me that she's being forced to do to Clark pretty much the same exact thing that she's always crucified him for. She's learning that there are sometimes really good reasons for people to keep secrets, even from the people that they love the most. 
one might say especially from the ones that they love the most. Now, on a technical note, this episode contradicts just about everything that Smallville has ever said about Moira Sullivan. Back in Lineage from Season 2, Chloe announced that Moira walked out on the family back when she was five, when Chloe was five. Tomb from the fifth season had Chloe saying that her mother had been in an institution ever since she was 12. Tomb also showed Moira to be a blonde, but the teaser for Progeny shows that Chloe is probably right around eight years old and saying goodbye to her mother, who is a brunette. Now, here's where we need to establish the difference between a retcon and a continuity error. Everything that I've just said sure looks to me like a continuity error, but Progeny reveals Chloe's mom's name to be Moira. The name Moira is a retcon. That's new history, though it's a... And what I'm saying is this new history is a pretty severe continuity issue. There are continuity problems and there are retcons. Continuity errors are real flaws in most cases. Retcons, though, really just reveal new information that hasn't been known before, but which doesn't really contradict anything. Moira's name is a retcon. This new information about Moira and about Chloe's history, this is a continuity problem. Now, normally this might be occasion for me to gripe, but guys, the truth is that I believe Goff and Miller designed Smallville to wrap up in the fifth season. That was the story that they wanted to tell, and that was where their original outline ended. So imagine their surprise when the WB ordered a sixth season. As I've said before, Goff and Miller probably had to scramble to come up with new ideas and concepts to sustain the show beyond what they originally intended. And my view is that the original story didn't ever require Moira to be much of a character in or participant of this TV show. And that's fine. But if you suddenly get an unexpected sixth season order from the network, you're going to need all the stories and characters that you can get. And once you start creating a bunch of new stuff, you stand a really good chance of contradicting a bunch of other shit that you've established earlier in the run of your show. And to me, Moira Sullivan's original history is a casualty in Smallville's ever-expanding story. Honestly, though, things like this really are rare. They're few and far between. Generally, Smallville abides by whatever's come before, for better or worse. And like I say, the Sullivan, the Sullivan family's new history strengthens my argument that Goff and Miller never intended the show to last this long. That's just how I see it. On another technical note, Clark super speeds in front of Chloe, and she never even notices that he's gone. And this says something about how super speed works in the Smallville universe. He obviously has the ability to move faster than the human eye can follow. At least if he's, if he does the job right. If he's careful, he can super speed right in front of people and they won't ever know that he was ever gone. Yes, we viewers see a red and blue blur. See what I did there? 
We see the blur, but the characters themselves won't. At least, not necessarily. And there's really no deeper meaning to that. I just thought it was fascinating. So, anyway. Now, from a practical standpoint, Progeny advances subplots regarding 33.1 and Lana's pregnancy. Clark's prepared for war once he's made sure that Lana is safe. It's interesting how those two unrelated stories are now being connected to each other. And to me, it's good parallel storytelling. Now, this is the 18th episode of this season, Smallville's shippiest season. We're nearing the finale. And so because of that, Progeny has to start positioning the characters for whatever the, f the finale may hold. It's time for some secrets to be brought to light, such as Lana's faked pregnancy. It's time for certain subplots to start boiling over, such as Clark making 33.1's downfall his new personal crusade. Progeny establishes all of those things within, I would say, a pretty entertaining framework. I've never been a big fan of Progeny, or for that matter, other sort of chess piece episodes that have to position the characters from where they were to where they need to be. Sometimes, guys, they can. these chess piece episodes are sometimes hard to sit through because of the amount of exposition that has to be given. And it's unavoidable. You have to create these characters, these stories, these conflicts, themes, subplots, and all that other shit. And then you have to start bringing all of it to a conclusion. The episode that does all of that, all of that work still has to work as an episode unto itself. So, shows like Progeny are invariably kind of a bitch to write because of the level of detail and precision that has to be brought into action here. You could compare Progeny to Spirit from the dreaded fourth season, or Mercy from the fifth season. Progeny is a showcase episode for Chloe that's relevant to this show's big arcs and this, this season's big conflicts and all that fun stuff. So was Spirit. And it's also relevant to that season's, that dreaded season's big arcs and, and conflicts and all of that stuff. Mercy, same thing. Showcase episode for Lionel that was relevant to that season's uh, arcs and conflicts. In all of these cases, supporting characters took center stage to drive their individual stories in ways that directly affected the season at large. Each of these episodes came, guys, I'm not going to lie to you, came out to a mixed reception from fans and viewers. And the reason for that is because of the fairly mechanical nature of each of the stories. They have to advance the characters and position them for the finale, but not too much. They have to up the ante on the season's story arc, but not too much. And to do these things, there's got to be a shitload of exposition. It's a tough act to pull off, so I try not to criticize these things too much when they come along. Next up, Nemesis, episode 19. Lex and Clark are stuck in a tunnel together and have no choice but to air their problems with one another. Also, Lana's maybe not a very nice person anymore. Oh, and Lex is experimenting on army soldiers all as part of 33.1. Guys. This one's a doozy. What's wrong, Mr. Luther? Haven't you ever done anything crazy for love? The phones won't work this deep in the tunnel system. Mine will. Take it. Take it. 
out west, my life is over. When you meet someone that can pull you out of the trenches, you don't just give up on them. This is pretty on-the-nose dialogue for someone to say to Lex. Obviously, Jody Keenan's an analog for Lex. She's doing crazy things for love because Wes Keenan saved her ass. Lex has done crazy things for love, too. I mean, guys, faking Lana's pregnancy is a pretty extreme step, wouldn't you say? Now, Lana's not stupid. Artificial hormones were introduced into her system to simulate a pregnancy. The abrupt withdrawal of those hormones simulated a miscarriage. She knows that she didn't take the artificial hormones intentionally, so that leaves only one person with the means, motive, and opportunity to give them to her. So, yes, it'd be fair to say Lana's pissed off. We can be sure of that because she threatens Lionel when he's sacked out in the hospital right here in Nemesis. It's clear that Lana's taken some seriously dark turns since Progeny, the last episode. That was not a throwaway episode. The faked pregnancy was not a throwaway subplot. Lana's been violated in a pretty fucking unforgivable way here, y'all. Obviously, she hasn't taken kindly to that. The briefcase that she took from the police has a DVD inside marked Ares. It contains video of the last zoner killing some people. This is the final zoner that Clark still needs to take down. That's a big thing, guys. Chekhov's gun. Keep your eye on this. And speaking of Lana, she's been sitting on secret maps of the tunnels all morning. And she was content to keep them to herself. Literally, the only thing that causes Lana to change her mind is finding out that Clark's in the tunnels too. And he could die if something isn't done soon. The other part of the deal is that Lana's completely ambivalent now about whether Lex lives or dies. He crossed the line. She knows that she was duped into marrying the guy. And frankly, Lana won't lose a bit of sleep if Lex dies in those tunnels. In fact, as far as she's concerned, that'd be just what he deserves. All the cards are on the table now between Lana and Chloe about Clark's secret. Lana doesn't have all the details but she knows enough. And she knows that Chloe's in on the fact that Clark has powers. Chloe doesn't confirm any of it here, but then she doesn't have to, now does she? Because Lana saw it with her own eyes back in Promise. Chloe can't see this as a good thing. And it's not because she's the local superhero's only confidant. She knows exactly how dangerous knowing Clark's secret can be. Hell. She knows exactly how dangerous it was for Lana back in Reckoning from the fifth season. This is bad. Of course, Chloe's going to brief Clark on all this. She tells him that Lana knew all about the back door into the tunnels, but she didn't produce a map leading to it until she found out that Clark was down there too. And he's horrified to find out about that. Guys, understand. This is the first major character flaw that Clark has ever seen in Lana. There was no love lost between Clark and Lex, but he went into that tunnel to save Lex's ass anyway. He and Chloe even talked about it at the beginning of the episode. Chloe was content to let, rock, to let Lex rot down there too, but Clark 
just can't do things that way. He and Chloe both acknowledge that he doesn't get to pick and choose who he saves. But obviously Lana feels like it's absolutely her prerogative to let Lex get blown to bits in that tunnel. Clark's as caught off guard by that as Chloe. And the viewer. This is the first time Lana's shown any kind of darkness. Sure, she showed a sort of devious side back in Arrow from earlier this shippiest season when she threatened Dr. Grohl, but first, Clark doesn't know about that. And second, the viewer probably sees a huge difference between pushing some nerdy scientist around and choosing to let her own husband die. But, obviously the main issue in Nemesis is Clark and Lex verbally duking it out while they dodge explosions and, and cave-ins in the tunnel. It's a good reminder of just how much ground they've really covered since the pilot episode. And honestly, just how much both of them have lost. Still, Lex comments on how he never expected to pull shrapnel out of Clark. Even after all this time, some part of Lex still suspected that Clark had powers of some kind. Lana's not the only one who saw the chisel after Lex stabbed Clark with it, but seeing the shrapnel stuck in Clark's shoulder is proof, at least in Lex's mind, that Clark doesn't have powers, at least as far as Lex is concerned, and guys, this has happened before. Back in Leech from the first season, they, meaning Clark and Lex, they had a little bit of an argument over the bridge rescue from the pilot. Clark didn't have powers for most of Leech as an episode because Eric Summers took them by accident. So Lex saw Clark exhausted and too weak to lift his arms after doing work on the farm. He also paid Clark a visit in the hospital when Eric beat the shit out of him and cracked a few of his ribs. Later, in Devoted from the dreaded season floor, Clark, Clark downs a kryptonite-based love potion and that fucked his day up real bad. But Jason Teague obviously decided it wasn't fucked up enough because he paid Clark a visit in the barn and kicked his ass a little bit. Lex saved Clark during that experience. In Mortal, from the fifth season, Clark had no powers because Jarrell took him away. Lex watched security footage of Clark breaking into a Luthercorp facility and getting injured by the security system. My point here is that Lex has plenty of reasonable doubt. Don't get me wrong, there's circumstantial evidence to suggest that Clark has powers, but every time he turns around, Lex is face to face with physical evidence that Clark is just another ordinary Joe. Moving away from the analysis stuff, there's a really neat moment between Lana, Clark, and Lex at, uh, after the final explosion in the tunnels. Lana rushes to Clark and they share a brief moment of affection and intimacy before Lana has to play the part of the devoted wife and go to Lex's side. Everybody's in on the same thing here, guys. Lana's heart belongs to Clark. The wedding, the billions of dollars, the luxury, the prospect of children, none of that shit makes a difference to Lana. Clark has her heart. Nothing Lex has to offer can match that. And for once, Lex realizes that. Something or someone did force Lana to marry him. She's his wife, but guys, that's only a legal thing. 
Like everything else with Lex these days, the respectability of it is completely superficial, and for the first time, he realizes it's also temporary. Sooner or later, she's gonna walk out on him, and when she does, she's making a beeline for Clark, and they're gonna pick up more or less exactly where they left off. This entire sequence is devoid of dialogue, it's just music and visuals. The last time that Smallville attempted this was the teaser for Promise, but as powerful as that Promise teaser was, it's still driven by a pop song. That's not the case here. This time, the score drives a lot of the emotion of the scene. As I've said before, Mark Snow's work on Smallville and its various scores has been a little bland. A lot of it just really isn't all that noteworthy. But here, Mark Snow really does bring home the prize. It's a lot of melodic strings and light brass that's going on at the climax of Nemesis, and the score elevates and amplifies on everything that the actors do, the expressions that they make, their lingering gazes and stolen caresses. It's just incredibly powerful stuff, and it makes you feel for all three characters. Now, excuse me while I get a sip of my apple juice here. Sorry about that, guys. But, um, you know, I've been running my mouth here for, what's it been, like over half an hour or something like that now, so I just need to wet my whistle a little bit. Also want to uh, take a few drags off, uh, off my vaporizer, just a moment. sip of apple juice before we move on. Alright. Now getting back into this, uh, into the discussion here. Up to now, Clark's treated Lex as an enemy. And to be fair, he's crossed a lot of lines. The final straw, though, was discovering the shrine the Clark Kent Shrine back in Covenant from The Mighty Season 3. And really, everything else since then has been kind of a footnote, but at the same time, Clark and Lex had a real bond with each other. And as I've said before, if you analyze that from the angle of friendship, it really doesn't add up. In the pilot, Lex can't be any younger than 21, and Clark can't be any older than 15. And even that, it'd be pushing it a little bit. So, a friendship between a 21-year-old and a 15-year-old is a kind of weird thing. But, if you use a different approach, if you realize that Lex and Clark used friendship to describe their association with, with each other when they really meant brothers, that's different. And it accounts for everything that they've been through together. Lex's only sibling was murdered in the crib by his own mother. Clark's only sibling died in the womb back in Exodus from season two. Lex was alienated from a real childhood while 
Clark was partly kept from it by Jonathan and Martha because they wanted to protect his secret. Neither of them have very much experience with true friendship. Their bond meant a lot to both of them, and losing it hurt. For Clark's part, yeah, he feels justified in turning his back on Lex, but he still misses his friend, and it pains him what they've been through together. As for Lex, well, now's a good time to talk about everything in this episode. For starters, Lex misses his friend too. But Lex's problem with Clark is ultimately the same problem he had with Lana. Lex is capable of feeling love, but he doesn't really understand it. He doesn't know what to do with it. Clark saved him on the bridge. Lex didn't know how to respond, and so he tried to buy Clark's friendship. Clark learned a lot from that experience. Jonathan had to break it down for him. In the first place, a good deed is its own reward. There can't be any real compensation for that. You can't put a price tag on human life. It doesn't work that way. It can't. In the second place, the Luthers built their fortune through profiteering. They took unfair advantage. Jonathan doesn't want the Luthers, Luther Corp, or their money anywhere near his farm or anywhere near his son. Lex learned nothing from that. His natural instinct for everything is to assume control of it. The fertilizer plant, Luther Corp, his friendship with Clark, his relationship with Lana, everything Lionel taught Lex to always be is the captain of his own destiny. Never allow variables. The only way Lex knows how to do anything is to take control. But Clark presented Lex with a mystery. It was a humanly impossible rescue, yet Clark pulled it off anyway. Every step of the way, Lex has been confronted by the mystery that is Clark Kent. His efforts to take control, to solve the mystery, was ultimately his friendship's undoing. Yes, there were other factors that made a bad situation worse, but ultimately, Lex started the ball rolling with the Clark Shrine in Luther Mansion. He did the same thing with Lana. His love for Lana has never been motivated purely by love for her. Don't get me wrong. To whatever degree that Lex can love anybody, I think he loves Lana. And I think he wants her to love him back. But he only wants Lana because she's Clark Kent's ex-girlfriend. There are other factors at work for him there. He wants Lana because he loves her. But the more important angle is that Clark loved her first. So Lex wants her. Lex is perfectly well aware of that. Deep down inside in a place that he's afraid to think about, Lex knows that his main interest in Lana comes from the fact that she was once Clark's. In an even deeper, more secret place, Lex knows Lana's only with Lex because she wants to hurt Clark. Now, when I was talking about Bessel from the fifth season, I said, I've mentioned all this stuff in the past, but it's always nice when the characters confirm it for me. Originally, Lex was a spoiled, pampered little Luther Corp prince, but Clark saving Lex on the bridge back in the pilot gave Lex an entirely new purpose. 
and odds are it started off as genuine friendship. But the closer Lex got to Clark as a friend, the more Lex wanted to be Clark. It wasn't enough to know someone like Clark. And after a while, it wasn't enough to be friends with someone like Clark. Before too long, Lex's jealousy made him want to be Clark. But obviously, that's not possible. So, as much as possible, Lex started working to take everything that Clark has. And as Lex himself points out, the only thing he could really take from Clark was Lana. Apart from helping engineer their breakup, Lex's interest in Lana begins and ends with the fact that she's Clark's ex-girlfriend. It wouldn't be enough to have gotten into Lana's pants before Clark did. No. Clark had to get there first. Only then could Lex give it a shot. I mean, there are no words for how sick and twisted that is. But at the same time, it's also hard to argue that it's not true. And the thing is, that's all still true. Nothing's changed, except now I can close the loop on some of that because so much of it is on the table now. Lex knew his relationship with Lana was built with Clark as the foundation. Lana was hurt by Clark. Lex wants to be Clark. He's not an idiot. He knows that type of relationship is the stuff that flings and rebounds are made of. But Lex is playing for keeps. He doesn't just want Lana, he wants to keep her. He wants to take control. So Lex did to Lana more or less what he did to Clark. When Clark saved him, Lex tried to take control by buying Clark's friendship with flashy and expensive gifts. Now, the gift-giving thing didn't really work, but for a period, Clark, or I should say Lex, was able to buy Clark's friendship, kind of. But Lex's obsessive need for control is what started the ball rolling. Their friendship was unraveled not by Clark's secret, but by Lex's secret. Same thing with Lana. He wanted Lana because she's Clark's ex-girlfriend. He has her for the moment because she was hurt by Clark and wanted to hurt him back. Lex could get, a, could get a fling with Lana out of that, but that's all. And he wanted so much more than that. He wanted to succeed where Clark failed, so Lex bribed a doctor to help him fake Lana's pregnancy. This was his attempt at a dividend. He had Lana, for now, temporarily, but he wanted to keep her and he evidently figured that his best shot at doing so was to force her to marry him. Now, would Lana have accepted Lex without a fake pregnant, uh, pregnancy? Maybe, but maybe not. And Lex is historically very uncomfortable with maybe nots, especially with his personal relationships. So he needed to take control to make Lana's decision for her. And eventually, she'd learn to love him. Lex is convinced of that. Why, with enough time, she might even start seeing him exactly the same way that she sees Clark. Once the wedding's over, there's no need to continue the faked pregnancy. In fact, if anything, it's imperative that the pregnancy end in a miscarriage, and soon. 
Otherwise, people are going to start wondering why Lana's not showing, even though she's in her seventh or eighth trimester at this point. So, it's really no accident that the fake pregnancy ended once the ink was dried on their marriage license. But here's the thing. You can't control other people. The relationship that you have with them is the relationship that you have with them. You can't force it, bribe it, or coerce it. It's either there or it's not. And the sad, sad, fucking sad truth is that Lex never had to force any of it. He had a real bond with Clark, but he lost it. He had a real connection with Lana, but he lost that too. The person most responsible for all this is Lex himself, but he'll never admit that much to himself. He knows who's to blame for all these things going horrifically wrong, but he won't take responsibility for any of them. In his mind, he didn't kill those relationships. Instead, those people abandoned him. So there you go. Episode 20, Noir. Lana gets shot. Meanwhile, Jimmy gets smacked upside the head and dreams about a 1940s film noir version of Smallville. Now guys, I'm not gonna lie to you, sweet fucking Moses. Is this a picked-on episode of Smallville? I mean, before I get into the internet warriors throwing little tantrums and using that jack-off term filler, I want to talk about Jimmy for a minute. He's been Chloe's fairly steady boyfriend through this season, Smallville's shippiest season, and I have mentioned this is Smallville's shippiest season, right? Anyway. He's been her faithful boyfriend, but honestly, his character development's been kind of sketchy, even at the best of times. Jimmy isn't the star of the show. Clark is. And so because of that, Jimmy's just not going to get the same amount of screen time as Clark. He won't get as much character development, but I guess every actor on every TV show has a clause in their contract that allows them to be the star for one episode each season. Back in season five, Lex had his time in the spotlight in Lexmas. And also in the fifth season, Lionel's episode was Mercy. Reunion from this season was Oliver Queen's episode. And here in Noir, it's Jimmy's turn. This is where we get some development for Jimmy. He's a huge fan of crime noir films of the 1940s, and let's face it, he's fallen in with a group of people straight out of a Bogart movie in some ways. If he's a fan of film noir, it kind of makes sense that he'd see the similarities. I think it says something about Jimmy that he, he picked up on all of that. And also something about Smallville at this stage of the game that it's all fucking true. <laughs> Speaking of how observant Jimmy is, though, <laughs> he puts the pieces together about the cigarette case that Lana was carrying with her. He connects the dots on other things, too. Specifically, that Lana didn't go to the Daily Planet to hang out with Chloe. She had other reasons for being there. The full story eventually comes out. Lana was meeting with Brennan, a Daily Planet political correspondent. She was shot before she could meet with him. Later, Brennan gets gunned down, too. It's really not hard to figure out what happened, and who the guilty party is. I'll come back to that, though. As I say, this is all detail to Jimmy's character that we've never gotten before. It's meant 
to not only develop his character and reveal that he's a big fan of crime films from the 40s, but also that he's a sharp and astute guy. He pays attention to the details. Season six, the shippiest season of the show, has shown him misinterpreting things on several occasions, but he's not always wrong. And when he's right, he's really right. So what's the real story here? Why did Lana and Brennan get shot? Well, I think we can read between the lines and figure it out. Lana most likely went to the planet to meet with Brennan to blow the, west, uh, to blow the whistle on Lex's deal with Senator Burke over something called Project Ares. She was going to deliver a video of Lex meeting with Burke when she was intercepted and shot. That's why. So the obvious question to ask is who ordered the hit? Now, I think we can rule Lex out. No, he doesn't want Project, Air, uh, Project Ares and his deal with Senator Burke exposed to the media. But it's not likely that he'd go so far as to have Lana shot to cover his tracks. Lionel? He's got no motive. He seems to know all about Project Ares, and it's no secret that he's single-handedly responsible for pushing Lana into marrying Lex but he claims to have done it under the auspices of protecting Clark. And earlier on in Noir, he expresses genuine remorse. Nothing fake. This remorse is real for having ever dragged Lana into all of this in the first place. He whispers to Lana that he's sorry for getting her caught up in all this. And boys and girls, this is the episode after Lana threatened him in the hospital and kind of half-assed tortured him. None of this was grandstanding on Lionel's part. There was nobody around for him to impress. He was truly speaking from the heart. This tends to reinforce his claim that he had noble purposes behind forcing Lana to marry Lex. Plus, considering how often Lana's taken sides, uh, or Lionel has taken sides against Lex, would he really go so far as to kill Brennan and Lana just to protect Lex? doesn't seem likely. So, based on all of that, I think we can assume that Senator Burke found out that Lana was going to air all of his dirty laundry to the media, so he arranged to have, to have her taken care of. As for Brennan, well, hey, no sense in leaving any loose ends behind, right? Just make a clean job of it and get rid of him too. Burke has the means, motive, and opportunity to do the crime. That's your murderer the prosecution rests. Now, you might ask just what the hell Project Ares is, and uh, that's big. I mean, like, really big. It was first mentioned back in Nemesis, and it pops up again here. The Project Ares angle, and the ball that's getting moved forward in terms of Clark, realizing Lana's done everything that she has because she's watching his back, are what make Noir a not totally standalone episode. You know, we're nearing the end of the season. Goff and Miller have got to start positioning the characters and the story for the big finale. That process really started back in Nemesis and it continues here. So that happens. But simultaneously, we get a fun little noir story featuring familiar actors and unfamiliar roles. But this is all anybody ever talks about, and most of the time it's brought up as a negative. And it kind of pisses me off because it's like people either forget or else choose not to acknowledge that 
Jimmy's film noir dream only lasts 20 minutes, guys. Now, yeah, that's about half the episode, but the other way of looking at it is that it's only half the episode. Standalone episodes, like noir, are good for the cast of, I would say, probably any show. It breaks the monotony of things up, I would say, pretty well. These actors have mostly been living with their characters for over half a decade. Not all of them, but, but a lot of them. Odds are, they'll try anything new just to liven things up a little bit. And truth is, guys, it's a fun little excursion for the cast, and it advances a few key story elements that Season 6, which is to say Smallville's shippiest season, has been developing. That's all you can ask for at this stage in, in this season. And my firm belief is that if something like Jimmy's dream sequence had been done five episodes ago, people would have just rolled with it. But the main gripe seems to be that we're getting closer, uh, closer to the season finale. So there should be a greater sense of buildup and anticipation. And guys, I'm sorry, that's not how this type of storytelling works. You may not like that. You may not agree with that but you're still fucking wrong. Another neat thing is the establishing shot of the Daily Planet is taken right from the Adventures of Superman TV show, which regularly showed a plaque with Daily Planet building written on it. And so guys, I don't know about the rest of you, I just thought this was a nice touch. All that having been said, I've got some, some nitpicks and some quibbles. Jimmy's dream sequence has a lot of noir trappings. Black and white, high contrast lighting, Venetian blinds, car chases, the total lack of morally upstanding characters, and some other stuff. But that I can remember, nobody gets slipped a Mickey. Also, there aren't there are no there are no voiceovers. So it's not perfect, but I still think this is a good little bit of noir. Also, I can't help but wonder if Lois is a nightclub singer here in Noir isn't some kind of a reference to I've Got a Crush on You, the first season episode of Lois and Clark, where Lois goes undercover at the Metro Club and poses as a nightclub singer. Just kind of makes you wonder. Another interesting uh, bit of business here is Clark catching Chloe in his arms when she falls several stories. Now, I honestly can't remember if Smallville has ever shown Clark doing something like this before, but it obviously happens here. Now, in a strictly realistic sense, what Clark did here is impossible. Chloe would have been torn in pieces by suddenly stopping like that. So, this must not be strictly realistic. And big duh. And so, it confuses the fuck right out of me that people can watch all the science fantasy elements that Smallville's taken on in the past couple of seasons and still not realize that this is a fantasy. But if you must come up with some kind of retarded, totally realistic and plausible explanation for this, I guess you can rationalize that Clark has the ability to absorb kinetic energy. It's how we can get shot by a bullet without the bullet whizzing right back in the direction that it came from. It's how we can leap across the metropolis skyline and land on Oliver Queen's balcony without destroying it. And it's how we can catch Chloe after she falls several stories. Pick one.
Another quibble. Noir is yet another episode with yet another shot of the Narrows swiped from Batman Begins, and yet again, I'm kind of ticked off about that. Anyway, my point here is to say that Noir is tons of fun, and it plays with tones and styles and themes that are totally foreign to Smallville while still moving the ball forward with a lot of different subplots. If the film noir sequence really bothers you that much, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, put on your big girl panties and deal with it. It's 20 minutes long. You'll live. Anyway. So that's basically it for me this time out. And as it happens, this is the beginning of my hiatus. So thanks to all of you for listening. I hope, I'll, hope you all stick around for when I return from hiatus. Hey everybody, Magnus here. So, been doing some thinking, and what I decided is it's kind of stupid to do the next to last episode of the Smallville Season 6 retrospective. To do that just before I start my hiatus, right? Just seemed kind of dumb, you know? It seemed dumb. So, what I decided to do is uh, go ahead and finish up the retrospective for Smallville Season 6, Smallville's shippiest season. Go ahead and finish that up, and I'm going to be releasing that next week. So, I'm going to have to revise what I told you guys just a second ago. I'm not starting my hiatus right now. Nope, nope, nope. I'm waiting. I'm going to wait a week. Go ahead and release the... uh, the conclusion of the Smallville Season 6 retrospective, and then, and only then, will I begin my hiatus. So, anyway, just thought you should know, so, as you were. And like I say, big changes are in the offing, so uh, something to look forward to there. But either way, I'll see you guys the next time I see you. Talk to you then. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. 
My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy. <laughs>